Media. You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. We are here with you on the Punch Out 20th of November 2020, 11, 20, 20, 20, closing out the week here on Friday. Quite a bit for you here, as we always do, talking about what's really going on with protests in Uganda, where dozens of people have been killed by police there, talking about a continued fall, you could say, of the war on drugs here in the United States, or at least potential fall, and also in other parts of the world. But before we get to those two important stories, we start with federal executions, the federal death penalty here in the United States. Well, late last night, Orlando Hall was executed by the federal government. He was the eighth person to be executed by the federal government here in the U.S. since the federal death penalty, that is, was reinstated this summer, and he was the first of three scheduled to be executed during the presidential transition. The resumption of executions was a key part of Trump's law and order push and was aggressively pushed by Attorney General Bill Barr. Hall was convicted in what was alleged to be an attempt to collect a drug debt, whereas a part of that, a group of people, allegedly at least, including Hall, seeking to collect the, collect the debt, ultimately kidnapped and raped the 16-year-old sister of the person who owes them owed them the money. Uh, the controversy over Hall's execution, though, was rooted in one of the most controversial issues as it concerns the death penalty writ large, but certainly the federal government uh, pushed for the death penalty, part of the reason why they paused it in the first place, and that's racism and bias in both the trial, it's the individual trials themselves, but the overall application of the death penalty as well, quite a bit of racism there. And his lawyers laid out a range of information. First and foremost, that the federal prosecutor that went after Hall engaged in racially biased jury selection in order to stack the deck to get the verdict he wanted. And in addition to the evidence they presented in that regard, they noted that this prosecutor had been found guilty twice before of doing the exact same thing in other trials. And this is very frequent as it concerns the death penalty and many of the people at the state level who get off get off for exactly this reason, racial bias in the jury trial. Um, that being said, they also further present a deeper statistical analysis of racial bias in the DOJ's capital prosecutions. As the Death Penalty Information Center lays out, quote, the DOJ has authorized or directed local authorities to seek the death penalty against 537 defendants between 1988 and 2020. And the petition... That's the petition filed by Hall's lawyers, states that only 147 of those defendants were white, while 390, at 73%, were people of color. And just under half of those, 49%, were black. Overall, the DOJ has authorized capital prosecutions more than 2.7 times as often against defendants of color than against white defendants, and nearly twice as often, 1.8 times against black defendants as opposed to white defendants. This is another frequent issue with the death penalty. In fact, one of the most interesting facts about the death penalty in America, if a black person kills someone and a white person kills someone, and they're both convicted of killing someone, the black person is more likely to be sentenced to death than the white person. So this racism is a huge, huge issue. The court, however, refused, the courts, I should say multiple courts, refused to intervene, and Hall is now dead. The attention is turning to Lisa Montgomery, whose case has drawn a wide outcry due to the details of serious 
mental and emotional challenges linked to a long history of abuse. From an early age, she was beaten and raped, then at 18, forced to have sex for money by her own mother, who had also forced her, I believe, to marry her stepbrother. And then uh, after she had four kids through this just terrible process, her family had her forcibly sterilized against her will. Montgomery was then later convicted of killing a pregnant woman taking the baby from her womb and pretending it was hers. And advocates have pointed out for some time, many more people now, that there's an obvious connection here between the brutality that was visited on her from her youngest years, you know, well into her early adulthood, and the crime that she was convicted of committing, and that she certainly should not be executed, uh, that obviously execution is not the right thing here. I I don't know if I have to really explain that to people. If you don't get it, I I don't know what I can do for you. Uh, And this is also, I have to say, sadly, a very frequent issue with the U.S. death penalty. Technically, you're not supposed to execute the mentally ill, but it happens all the time. There are a range of different loopholes. Uh, You know, Texas, among other states, is well known for this, and they find different ways to judge whether or not you're considered competent so they can execute people with serious mental illnesses. And, And there's another piece of this as well, beyond just the issue of mental illness itself. Many, 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 many people on death row have similar histories to Lisa Montgomery. Just deep, deep, deep abuse done to them from the youngest possible possible ages. And there's obviously a deep connection many, many times in death penalty cases between these just, just brutally abusive households that people are coming from uh, and the, the, the crimes they committed later on, where obviously an execution is not how we should approach this issue. Uh, but in almost no other country in the world does. But nevertheless, in the United States, they continue to do it. And it looks like Lisa Montgomery may in fact be executed. Uh, there have been some stays in her case due to some of her lawyers having COVID-19. But certainly it seems that Trump will likely press forward. He's a longtime advocate of the death penalty, longtime advocate of someone who revels in the worst parts of the death penalty. And of course, famously himself argued for the death penalty to be brought back to the state of New York to execute the Central Park Five, who were later found innocent, which is the ultimate issue with the death penalty over and above anything else. Many people are found innocent ultimately. And because of the process, it's difficult to even get that, to even get every, all the evidence out in front of the court. So there's quite a few opportunities for innocent people to be executed among every other issue. But nevertheless, there are fewer executions now than there have been in the past decade. So it seems more and more people in more and more states around the country, Democrats and Republicans are revealing this, uh, or or at least not revealing this, but are certainly understanding this. But the Trump administration, the exact opposite, trying to execute as many people as they can before they leave. Well, on another somber note, 37 people have been killed this week in protests in Uganda. The protests are resulting from the arrest of opposition politician Bobby Wine, who's mounting a vigorous challenge to that nation's longtime president, Yuari Museveni. Wine, 38 years old, very famous in that country, famous also in Africa, uh, big pop star, big music star, has a big youth movement pushing him and behind and behind him. You know, quite frankly, he is, has been arrested like this many different times for those who are paying attention. There's always some issue they're arresting 
arresting him for. This week, it's related to allegedly violating COVID-19 restrictions on large rallies. Wine will appear in court later in December 18th. What will happen isn't exactly clear. A lot of times they back off after they've originally arrested him. But what is clear about what is happening is that it's an attempt to disrupt his ability to campaign for the early January presidential and parliamentary elections, where at least many commentators believe Wine might have a chance to actually win and become president. What that means, it's it's not really clear. I mean, Wine is very coy about what his actual policies are. And whether or not he represents a real policy break, although certain a generational and stylistic break with Museveni, it is definitely not, not clear at all. Museveni's been there for about 40 years. Uh, he's sort of shifted back and forth. At one time, he was a so-called revolutionary. Now he's very pro-Western. But nevertheless, younger people are very fed up with the overall results here, the lack of development and social economic opportunities in the country, and they want to change. And Bobby Wine has really been able to speak to that in a major way. And of course, coming from a young generation, that's a big piece of it. And this is part of really a broader wind of change that has been blowing across Africa on the same sort of note for the past few years. Certainly Uganda. We've obviously seen Nigeria earlier this year, really just earlier this couple months ago, starting and continuing right now. The NSARS, the DRC throughout 2019, Zimbabwe. I mean, we could really go on and on. And there are a lot of different facets and contradictions in each country that we can't get into here. And we don't want to minimize that. But I think there's a central thread running through them. And that's the collapse of the 20th century post-socialist, that means post-fall of the USSR, development strategies that have been adopted by African countries, varying degrees of neocolonialism in sub-Saharan Africa. It's the world's youngest continent with a huge booming youth population that recognizes this form of development has totally failed. They want a better life. They deserve a better life. And they are, you know, looking to go into the streets in many ways. And I think the protests in Uganda are a good reminder of that, a reminder of the fact that the legacy of colonialism is not only still with us, but certainly the imperialist development patterns that have really been supercharged with the fall of the Soviet Union in the 1990s and the 2000s have left Africa in a deeply subordinated position in the world economy. And again, I'll say this again, many of the leaders that are taking advantage of this, the Bobby Wines of the world, Nelson Chamisa in Zimbabwe, they may not actually be the people to bring the needed change or to even have those kind of agendas. But it is notable to me that these huge youth movements are erupting all over sub-Saharan Africa. So I think we can say with some confidence that Africa's youth will not be denied in terms of fighting for a more just future in the 21st century. Well, we've been reporting to you really since the election here in the United States about how the bricks have really just been falling out of the wall of the war on drugs here in the United States as voters are selecting to legalize marijuana and increasingly psychedelic mushrooms, as well as decriminalizing other forms of drug use. Uh, a wave of laws of, to, to this effect passed all across the country via referendum on Election Day. And because of that, California State Senator Scott Weiner has moved to introduce a mushroom legalization bill in that state. In a statement to the Guardian newspaper out of the UK, he, he said to them that the war on drugs has been an abject failure. That's a quote. And that's what he said is motivating him. Now, at the same time this is happening, Mexico's Senate has voted to legalize marijuana in that country. And it seems the various political uh, stars are in alignment for that to succeed there in Mexico. Mexico obviously has been a major casualty of the U.S. war on drugs as the U.S. appetite to get high has fueled a war where 
Tens of thousands of people have been killed and disappeared. The U.S. government has been funding and arming all sides of this thing, and despite claiming to be fighting trafficking, has clearly been aiding and abetting various factions against others in a murky Byzantine conflict that has involved high-level officials in the public and private sector on both sides of the border over the, a number of years here, really over, over two decades at this point, over three decades at this point. The move towards legalizing marijuana is part of a broader push by the Mexican government to reduce tensions on this front and promote policies that address social development that underlies the poverty that has really helped make the drug trade boom in that country over the years. And potentially this could be a bigger step to more similar policies around changing the war on drugs. We've also seen uh, a push by the Mexican government this week to stop sending officials to the United States to be tried and to try people in Mexico, which is a big shift in how they address many of these things over the past two presidents. Only one country has decriminalized all drugs, that's Portugal, but I have to say that their results give a clear example of how a public health type of approach, which many states around the United States, countries like Mexico, are now starting to move towards, is absolutely a better way of addressing the actual real issues that come with addiction and drug use. There has been no massive increase in the use of drugs in the country of Portugal, but there has, however, been a reduction in HIV rates and a reduction in drug-related deaths. So the evidence that the war on drugs is a Failure is certainly clear everywhere, and it seems slowly but surely the worm is turning on this deeply failed policy that has harmed so many people in the United States and sadly many other countries that have been collateral damage of this failed U.S. war on drugs. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York, East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles, Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. Yeah. 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 Yeah.